Daniel Stradowski had a varied career path before he went to St. Louis University Law School, including a very brief stint as a country recording artist. After graduating in 2014, he spent six years at various law firms throughout the St. Louis area before branching out on his own so he could run for circuit attorney. The Republican joins me next on Politically Speaking to talk about his philosophy of the office and his chances of winning. We've also extended a Politically Speaking invitation to the Democratic incumbent, Kim Gardner. Let's hit the music. This is the Politically Speaking podcast, the definitive show about Missouri politics. It's a little complicated in Bolivar because there is a Parsons family there. But we also knew that it was important to make sure that that we got to where we needed to go. You know if you walk in a room and you're getting ready to make a decision and everybody in the room looks like you, you need to stop. And right now what happens in the United States Senate is as critical as anywhere else in the country. I really want the state to succeed. We want everybody to uh, know that we're all working together. I just worked hard to try to build my name where I didn't have the money. And welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host, Rachel Littman. Joining me today, as we have been doing for the past, I don't know, five, six months or so when we've recorded this via Zoom is... Dan Zdrowski, pleasure to be here. And Dan is the Republican candidate for circuit attorney. He's running against Kim Gardner in November. And Dan, if I remember correctly from when you were the uh, a nominee to the Board of Freeholders, you have quite the varied background. Yes, yes, that is correct. So I'm originally from St. Louis City. I've lived here my entire life. Um, as far as work history goes, I started off working in restaurants in the city uh, down Lafayette Square. Then I went off to New Orleans for college on a full tuition scholarship to study voice and philosophy, earning two bachelors. While down there, I had a number of jobs. I started a small boarding house for Marines. I worked in antique silver, you know, in restoration and cells. And then I also was a bouncer at a uh, techno nightclub. And you also recorded a country album, or it was definitely an album. I can't remember if it was yes. country, but it was definitely an album. Yes, yes. Uh, it was quite terrible, though. I don't, uh, don't really uh, share that too much. Uh, but yes, yes, you've clearly done your homework. Yes, I did release a country album years ago. And what led you to make the jump from all of those varied careers that you had had into law? The jobs I had had beforehand really set me up well as far as soft skills goes. You know, learning the importance of being prepared and being able to give a presentation, learning how to interact with others on collaboratively on team projects, uh, gain some managerial experience as well. Um, and I, th I really thought that it was a good fit for both my academic interests as well as my interpersonal skills. I started off the first two and a half years after law school working for a small general practice firm downtown doing primarily personal injury and criminal defense. Um, I gained some good experience there and then I moved uh, out to a different firm out in the county, uh, well St. Charles County to be specific, handling primarily personal injury, a bit of criminal defense, a bit of family law. And um, I gained a tremendous amount of trial experience out there. My boss at the time uh, became very, very ill. And as because of that, uh, I really had to step up and try a lot of his cases for him. 
And in those, you know, two, two and a half-ish years that I was out in St. Charles, I gained more trial experience than, you know, many attorneys get over six, seven, eight years, even if they're actual trial attorneys. And it was one after another after another. And then I moved back into St. Louis County um, to work for a firm here called Highest Highest and Goldberger, doing primarily uh, domestic relations, so divorces, custodies, family law, uh, in general. And uh, I like that a lot, but then uh, back in February, in order to have more time, in part, in order to have more time to uh, work on the campaign, I branched off and started my own firm because I needed the flexibility of uh, being my own boss in order to you know, run this campaign successfully. And what led you to jump into the circuit attorney's race to you know, make the run as a Republican candidate? Well, I'll be perfectly frank about that. You know, St. Louis is my home. I've lived here my entire life. You know, it's, we've had better times, we've had worse times, but you know, things were getting better. And then, you know, ever since Kim Gardner took office, I know she's not entirely to blame for this, but she's definitely a contributing factor. You know, I've seen crime just spike up and you know, you can complain all you want about, you know, whoever is in office, but I knew that if there wasn't somebody to run on the Republican ticket in the chan in the event that Kim did win the primary, I did not want her to run unopposed. I wanted the voters of St. Louis to have an alternative option to her so that she just couldn't walk straight into the office after the primary. And so that was my main motivation. One way or the other, I think she's bad for St. Louis. And I think that I can do a better job. And so instead of you know just complaining about her, and, uh, and all of that, I decided to run. You mentioned that Ms. Gardner is not the only thing contributing to some of the rise in crime that we are seeing, but in your view, where is she the biggest factor? I think that there's a lot of violent criminals out there that have been emboldened by the sheer lack of prosecutions. Most of my campaign has been on the North side and you know, just one parent after another I've spoken with crying because they still have to go live in the same neighborhood as the murder of their son, murder of their daughter, murder of their nephew or their niece. And it's, it's one thing to, for there to be, for you to be a victim of violent crime or to have a close family member be a victim, but to have to see the perpetrator on a daily basis because they still live in your neighborhood because no charges have been brought or if they have been brought it's a, it's a catch and release type situation and so I think that there's a lot of and it's not just on the north side it's all over our city but I think that the overall lack of willingness to follow through on even the most basic of violent crimes is really hurting is really emboldening our uh, the criminal populace of St. Louis. So much of how the prosecutor does its job is the cases have to be brought to them. And closure right. rates, especially for homicides in the city, aren't good. I think the last I checked it somewhere in like the 20 to 30 percent range. How do you work with or what's the role of the prosecutor's office in trying to get more cases to your office to be tried? Well, I don't know if that's necessarily the problem there, because right now, we all, right now, uh, the way the system works is 
the you know the police they build their case they put together their information they present their case to the circuit attorney's office and then the circuit attorney does have discretion whether or not to proceed but as the last time i checked it and by based upon my math there's only about 27 percent of those cases that were being brought by brought to the circuit attorney's office by the police were actually resulting in charges being filed and you know i understand you know kim gardner's lack of evidence but there's just been too many cases in which there's been ample evidence fingerprints eyewitnesses confessions that no charges have been brought or if they are brought they're brought at a very minimalistic level and so i think that you know that is you know definitely what you brought up was definitely a consideration but you know you can't say that charges are not that information is, isn't being gathered by our police and being presented to the office when only 27 percent of the cases are actually resulting charges and just to be clear you are speaking of cases overall not specifically homicides when you're using that 27 yes, yes, percent correct yes okay. that is correct that that does relate to the um homicide specific though in that what i've seen is that there are a lot of victims out there that are afraid of their accusers and they're afraid because they're accused i mean not accusers the perpetrators of the uh against them they are concerned that they will not receive protection they're concerned that these people are out they're concerned that there is you know, no safety for them for coming forward and that does not breed an environment as conducive towards cooperation. I think that, you know, there's no easy solution to that, but having trust in the system that charges will actually be brought and people will be retained after committing violent crime is a start. How would you describe your philosophy of the prosecutor's office? What should be its role within the criminal justice system? I do not believe that the prosecutor's office is the mayor. I do not believe that the prosecutor's office is the director of health and human services, and, and it's definitely not the board of aldermen. Their job is to prosecute crimes and as they are presented to them to the best of their abilities. Now, I think that deferment programs have their place. I think that social outreach has its place, but I do not believe that is the circuit attorney's role to go picking costly national scandals and regional scandals and fights with, with folks in our community and our government as a whole when those resources are better spent getting back to the core role of the prosecutor's office, which is to prosecute crimes. What would be your definition of diversion? How do you view diversion as opposed to maybe uh, how your uh, opponent defines diversion? Well, diversion has its place and its place is for nonviolent offenses. Now, I personally believe that the war on drugs has disproportionately affected black and disenfranchised communities all throughout the United States. And I believe that the continued prosecution for, for minor possession charges, whether it be for marijuana, cocaine, MDMA, I believe that that has disproportionately affected our, our communities in, in St. Louis. And I think that that is a right place to start for diversion programs. 
A diversion program is basically a situation in which you're saying, look, do X, Y, or Z, and this won't go on your record, or we'll figure out some alternative way to get you through this without it having a long-term effect on your career and your life. And so when it comes to diversion programs, I think that, you know, I, I like Kim Gardner's stance that we're not going to bring charges for, uh, for, uh, for marijuana, but I would extend that to all possession charges. I really, we have a years long back, backlog of violent crimes, assaults, murders, domestic violence cases, until we get all of them straightened out, there's really no room in the budget, no room in our resources to go pursuing those cases. So for example, you know, I would be all in support of offering, offering somebody who gets caught with, let's say heroin or fentanyl, some sort of a diversion program where if you get clean and provide proof of that, then this doesn't go on your record and you can go on living your life. The same goes for other lesser nonviolent offenses, including some property crimes and code violations. You know, those things are better suited for community service as opposed to facing actual criminal charges. So where does Ms. Gardner go too far, do you think, in her offering of diversion? There have been numerous instances of diversion programs being offered for violent offenders, and I think that, that is unacceptable. It is insulting to their victims and their victims' families, and is a misuse of resources in the office. Give me an example of one that you've heard about or you know about where you think, uh, you know, a case that maybe people have heard of where uh, the defendant got diversion that you think it was inappropriate. Due to privacy concerns, I do not have access to specific names, but there are several instances cited in the Post-Dispatch and other, um, other regional newspapers specifically outlining, um, outlining when that had happened. And so overall, are there programs that you think she is doing well? I know you mentioned the not really charging for low level drug possession offenses. Are there other things that she has done that you think she actually is serving the community well by having in place that you would continue to keep in place if you're elected? Well, to answer that, uh, there's two basic answers. First, I do support, you know, I do support the use of diversion programs for nonviolent offenses, and that is something that I would continue. Secondly, I do believe that there does need to be scrutiny upon all police reports that are filed in, this, in the city of St. Louis. One thing that I do think that she goes too far on, though, is let's take, for example, the case of Robbie Robinson. His, uh, his son was shot, dumped in a dumpster, and set on fire. The perpetrator confessed and the police had a very, very solid case against, uh, against him. This happened almost a year and a half ago and yet no charges have been brought. Nothing has happened and he's still making, he is still out there championing for some justice for his son. The official narrative is that the, uh, the arresting officer was on Kim Gardner's Brady list because he had some sort of a history that had led her to believe that he may not be uh, trustworthy or he may have some sort of a bias in the case. However, there was enormous amount of evidence as to who murdered Robbie Robertson's son, he set him on fire, dumped him in a dumpster. There are already are safeguards in place for instances where you maybe disagree with a police officer's background. 
any decent public defender and any decent private uh, defense attorney is in the position where they can expand upon that and elaborate that to both the prosecutor's office and the and the uh, jury if it gets that far. And I think that having a blanket ban on all cases brought by those officers does a real disservice to the community, especially in instances like this. Under a Zdrodowski Circuit Attorney Administration, how would Brady officers, Brady cases, et cetera, be handled? Would you have an exclusion list? Would it be on a case-by-case -case basis with that officer? What would that look like? As I said before, every office in the United States, well, every, every office at a, at a city large enough to have a, um, have a substantially sized circuit attorney's office like St. Louis is gonna have their own Brady lists. And I think that it's, if you have just a hard and fast policy that you will not bring charges no matter what the circumstances, you get into some real hairy situations where justice is not carried out for victims and their families. I think that the only fair way to our community is to take it on a case-by-case -case basis. There absolutely are police officers out there that have some serious baggage. Like, that's, that's a fact. However, just if they just because they might have some baggage doesn't mean that every single thing that they touch is suddenly tainted and unusable. I think that, that the only way to bring justice to, to our community is to look at that on a fact-by-fact -fact basis. And if some officers' reports need to be taken with a large grain of salt, so be it. But in the, in the case I was just talking about, there was enough evidence, there was enough circumstantial evidence outside of the report and outside of the officer's testimony that it didn't need to be just brushed under the rug and dismissed. And we'll be right back on Politically Speaking. And we're back with Republican Circuit Attorney candidate Daniel Zadrowski. And uh, Daniel, on another issue of uh, police accountability, there's a lot of talk, especially in the Ferguson Commission report, about bringing in outside investigators to handle officer involved incidences, whether that's a killing, a shooting, et cetera. What's your view of how those kind of cases should be handled? Should it be someone from outside? Should it be handled by a separate unit in your office? How would you address that? I think that that's a question for the Board of Aldermen. I think that's a question for the mayor's office as well. Um, I think the role of the circuit attorney's office is to enforce the laws as they are written. And any sort of an outside review board would have to be a done so through in order to in my view the only way for it to be constitutional would be for that to be done by either legislation either at the municipal level or the state level and so like getting back to what i said before the role of the circuit attorney is to enforce laws as they are written and not to you know go trying and legislate on their own so I would have to see the actual proposal and actual law that was proposed by our either our Board of Aldermen or the or the state legislature. Is that something that you would philosophically advocate for, though, if it was presented as legislation, would you say, yes, I believe that it should be handled outside philosophically? Or is that something that the circuit attorney's office, police department, etc., can handle internally? 
as I said before, I think that that's a question for the for the state legislature or the uh, Board of Aldermen. I would have to, and before I could comment on any individual proposal, I've, I would say that I've seen several proposals for outside accountability or increased internal accountability, and both systems both have their problems. There is leeway both with handling internally or through a legislative outside body um, handling uh, police accountability. There's both, there's fruit in both those grounds for there to be a workable and viable solution to increase police accountability in our communities. But I would have to see the individual proposal first. As we're talking right now, the Missouri legislature is in the midst of, I think it's now about a three week session, special session on violent crime in this city's Overall, um, is the legislature advancing proposals right now that you think can actually help reduce violent crime in the city of St. Louis? I have mixed, I have mixed feelings about that. Uh, as, a, as a general rule, I am very opposed to government overreach. I'm opposed to state infringing upon municipal issues. I mean, I'm opposed to the federal government infringing upon state issues. And that's my general stance. However, I don't believe that, I believe that the city has gotten so bad that any necessary help is, should be welcomed or at least be open to. That said, you know, I'm not, I'm very, wary of, and I'll give it a specific, I'm very wary of the, of the proposal to bring in outside prosecutors from the, from the state's attorney's office to handle homicides and other violent crimes within the city because at its core, those are issues that should be dealt with internally because our prosecutors live in this community, our police live in this community, and this is our mess to be cleaned up. And while I do think that it's gotten so bad that you know, outside help might not be a might not be a horrible option, uh, I am very wary of it because at the end of the day, you know, if you look at every municipality in in this country, and if you look at the history of law and order in this country, those really are issues reserved for the states. I mean, reserved for the um, individual communities in which people reside. And so I'm very wary about it. And so to be clear, this is uh, Senator Onder's concurrent jurisdiction proposals. This Is it the concept of uh, concurrent jurisdiction that you're wary of, specifically how Senator Onder's is, is written, just to help people understand what we're talking about specifically here? Yes, yes, that, yes, that is what we are talking about here. I am concerned about it. You know, I haven't seen, as you know, things, change and things get moved around. I would have to see the final proposal. I, I do believe that outside help is you know, welcomed at this point, but I am still wary about it just because any sort of concurrent jurisdiction would inherently, at least from what I've seen, involve there being prosecutions by people that don't necessarily have strong ties to our community. And so we'll have to see how that all plays out as I said before, devil's in the details, but that, that's where I'm at. You also mentioned um, that you don't necessarily like it when federal 
prosecutors come in and help get involved with with state issues and St. Louis has Operation Legend. There is Safer Streets, which is where the Attorney General has uh, deputized some people to go help with the U.S. Attorney's Office. What should some of the role of partnerships look like or outside help look like in order to sort of, of best serve the community? What would be your philosophy on stuff like that? My philosophy is that in general, we shouldn't need that help. We have the resources within our city to handle this internally with people that care about our community and have strong ties to our community. That said, things have gotten so bad that we do need the help right now, at least at least in the short term. And so, with uh, with instances like Operation Legend, you know, it's still playing out. But as far as I can see, from at this point in time, it seems to be doing a great job. It's helping us clean up some old cold cases. It's helping us. Um, make some arrests that normally wouldn't have happened. Uh, it, it is helping for the time being, but I'm hopeful that we will eventually reach a place in our, uh, in our city where it will not be needed anymore. You talked a lot in the beginning of this podcast about the trial experience that you've had, and that's certainly important uh, to handle and work in an office that does do a lot of trial work. What about the management side of things? You know, the circuit attorney is kind of the leader of the office, isn't necessarily in the courtroom quite as much. Do you have the management experience necessary to, you know, deal with an office of attorneys, side staff, et cetera? Well, I'll answer that in two ways. First off, I've managed and owned several businesses throughout my, uh, throughout my life. Some of them have been short-term ones by design, some of them a little bit longer term. I do have managerial experience. And secondly, every single former staffer that I've spoken with in the current circuit attorney's office has described Kim Gardner as a micromanager who does not delegate and who does not and likes to take on more duties herself than she can handle. Um, case in point is I was listening to a budget hearing from the Board of Aldermen, um, uh, I think it was a few months ago, and you know, I, I, was, I sat in and watched it, and I couldn't believe that A, Kim Gardner showed up herself to, with no support for this budget hearing, and second, that she didn't even know how much money she was asking for. She didn't know what her expenditures were, and that's really the type of situation where you, know, you have people in your office that that is their job to help you with that, and that is their job to be there with you for that and to know those numbers for you so that you don't get called out and embarrassed by the Board of Aldermen because you don't know answers to their questions, especially ones that you've got people on your staff that that's their whole job to have the answers to those questions. And so I'm, I, uh, I'm confident in my ability to delegate out work that is not the necessarily the role or the exclusive job of the circuit attorney to those people that should be handling those matters or at least should be helping with those matters. If I were doing it differently, I would have uh, have the person in charge of my budget there with me for that meeting if I knew that I was going to be fielding questions from the Board of Aldermen about the budget. Because there's just it's just simply too big of a job to be handling those minutia of the details yourself. Realistically speaking, you're a Republican running in an overwhelmingly democratic city. What's your path to victory 
based on just the reality of the city's politics. Now, I'm not going to share my numbers too much with you, but I do believe that there, I've ran the numbers, and I do believe that there is a path to victory here. It's going to be, it's going to necessarily involve two things, though. First, getting out the message to as wide of a group as possible on the south side and the central corridor uh, that I am running and that I am a viable candidate. There are just too many people who are upset with Kim and her lack of running the office well. You know, I don't have to talk about policies here when I can, when I can just rely upon her sheer managerial mismanagement. We've got over 100% turnover rate. We've got an abysmal conviction rate. No matter what she says, it's still around 50% for trials. And so getting that message out there. And then furthermore, I think that several candidates in the past have made uh, tremendous mistakes in not showing their face and not campaigning on the north side. And so that's where I'm spending the vast majority of my time personally, getting to know the voters out there, getting to hear what things are there, are a biggest concern to them, and letting them know that there is an alternative option to the Democrats. You know, we've had Democrats, it's been, I believe, over 40 years since the last Republican circuit attorney and communities all throughout St. Louis are less safe because of it. And that's especially true in communities on the north side over the past 40 years. And I think that I can do a better job of helping our communities all over the city. And so that's my path to victory. Um, just getting the message out and trying to let people be aware of really what's affecting their communities. For all of our stories, you can go to stlpublicradio.org. I'm on Twitter at R. Lippman. Daniel, where can people find you? Twitter, Facebook, anywhere else on the World Wide Web? Well, my website's www.danielzprosecutor.com. I can be reached out uh, by email at daniel at danielzprosecutor.com or follow me on Facebook at Daniel Zadrowski. Until next time. So long.